So this morning you'll see in your bulletin you have a, the special music involves your participation. This is a song from the community of Tizé in France, and part of what Tizé music is all about is a musical meditation, or let's consider it a mantra. And what you're going to sing is Holy Spirit come to us, and that you're going to sing it over and over and over again like you would some kind of a, I call it a Christian Zen, or a mantra to go deeper and deeper and find that spirit entering your spirit as much as you can. While you and the choir continue to sing the mantra, Holy Spirit, come to us, I will add in some verses, and we have some other beautiful music that will be happening at the same time, hopefully to glorify God, to find the Spirit, and to bring it into your hearts today. So this is how your tune goes. So this is what you're going to sing. It goes like this. Holy Spirit, come to us. And that's it. You just sing it over and over. Holy Spirit, come to us. Holy Spirit, come to us. That's right.
May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God. What a marvelous Sunday this is. Third holiest day of the year. I don't know how Pastor Rachel can say it's her number one, though. Come on. Christmas, Easter? Yeah, she likes red. It follows Jesus' ascension to heaven in our theological thinking. And um, in a recent Bible study, one of the uh, participants uh, made a, a very sharp observation, I thought, understanding Pentecost as the reversal of the Tower of Babel, that in the Tower of Babel story, humans in their sinfulness were trying to reach up and become God, and God then shared among them a diversity of languages that would make it hard for them to work together to get something done, right? And at this experience of Pentecost, though we are a diversity of languages gathered there in that experience, we are all understanding one another and able to work together by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's something to, something to think about when you're getting into the second hour of a meeting and nobody seems to understand what you're saying. <laughs> or you explain once again to your neighbor right? The Spirit helps us to be at one with one another and able to move together in a good way towards a good purpose. Pentecost is seen as the birth of the church, right? Right? All right. All right. And when did Pentecost happen? There you go. 50 days after Easter. That sharp kid. Did you know that? Ah, yeah. It's seen as the birth of the church where the, the Spirit empowered people to, to go out with a confidence to share their sense of who Jesus was for them and the transformation that they had felt inside of themselves through their belief in God through Christ. And the Spirit helped them to go out into risky situations, out into circumstances that were very uncomfortable and maybe life-threatening to share um, the power of God's love and how it could make a difference in other people's lives as well. And people were converted, we're told, and they gathered together and they created um, house churches that then became larger churches as the movement spread and that dynamic has been going on for some uh, 21 
centuries. And so today on our Pentecost, we, in a little way, kind of bring to life that uh, spirit through confirmation. Because our youth, in a very real way, are now saying that they will step forward as young adults into the life of faith and into the life of the church. And they're uncertain as to what that's really going to mean for them, just as we look at them and say, we hope so dearly for the very best for all of you in your life, but we don't know the challenges that you're going to face, and we don't know how you're going to be tested or, or stretched to become the person God would have you be. But we pray that this moment will go along with you and that you'll remember that you are a child of God, a child of your parents, a child of this place, that all these people have your back also as you go and become who you are to be. It may be a rocky road, their choice to become United Methodists. From time to time, the church has gathered to recalibrate what it is doing, its mission, and to reset its course. And you all will remember, I know the confirmands do, that one of the first times that we did this as uh, early church Christians was the Jerusalem Council. And there was a great issue at hand, and it was, did you have to become a good Jew to become a Christian? And that was hotly debated. And you'll see in your scriptures that there was some differences of opinion on that. And it was decided that, no, you need not become a Jew to become a Christian that the Gentiles didn't have to become observant Jews to become Christians. That changed the course of the Jesus movement, that decision. Was it Holy Spirit-led as it contradicted the tradition of the Hebrew Scriptures, as it contradicted the tradition of the gatherings? We like to think it was, that God's Spirit was loose among them, leading them into a new, though perhaps difficult place. A couple centuries later, we Christians were killing each other because we understood the Trinity differently. Can you believe that? Can you believe killing somebody over a theological doctrine? I don't know that any of us believe any theological doctrine enough that we would kill somebody over it. Or perhaps we've got the main doctrine down that we ought to accept and love one another and not kill each other. I don't know what it is. Lack of belief or better belief. But we were doing that. And at Nicaea, we had a council that tried to settle that and put the weapons down and open the spirits. And we came across an idea of homeousis, the combining of the two natures that Jesus could be God and man, both. And that freed up 
an understanding of the Trinity and it empowered a new movement. And was that the Holy Spirit? Oh, maybe so. If you're on the heretical side of that debate, maybe you didn't think so. But we like to think so, that God was loose in a powerful way, trying to get God's children to get their act together. Since the start of our movement, representatives of our leadership, the Christian movement, have gathered, debated, and then decided who we were, what we should believe, how we ought to behave. And these councils have occurred throughout the centuries. They, they determined which books would be in the Bible and which books would not be in the Bible. They determined the authority of the Christian laity person, the authority of the Christian ordained person, the authority of the bishops. These councils decided what would be the rules, the best rules for us organizing ourselves and handling our widows or handling our widowers or, or handling our missionaries or handling our property? And they decided doctrines of faith, of course. As the church divided, reformed, and then consolidated, decisions were made, decisions were altered, decisions were remade. This is what you are joining today, this mess, <laughs> over 21 centuries. But was it really a mess? Or is this just how we humans roll when we're trying to figure out the really big things? We just have a hard time sometimes getting to the right place. And, and we need a little help from God. We need a little help from the Spirit and a little acceptance and love from one another. It's been an evolution of spiritual discernment, I would say an evolution of social progress. And at each turn, the future of the church looked and became a little bit brighter. Now, we Methodists are out of the Anglican church due to the American Revolution, and we are created in the theological mold of the Church of England, yet with distinctive differences and how we governed ourselves and in priestly authority. You can ask the confirmands during lunch um, what those differences are. I'm sure they're, they've got it on the tip of their tongue. <laughs> I'm surprised they're not calling out right now to, to, to share what those things are. And we Methodists then, in turn, as our movement grew here in America, we uh, united and divided and divided and divided and divided over almost at 50-year intervals. And maybe we look out of the corner of our eyes at our brothers and sisters in some of these other familial denominations, but they are offshoots of us. They're part of our extended family. The Wesleyans, if you, if you come across a Wesleyan church somewhere, they're out of our basic DNA. The Nazarenes... They split off. They were right on something and we were wrong and, and they uh, found their way. Salvation Army, 
birthed out of our movement. The African Methodist Episcopal churches. And we also have two watershed reformations as a part of our history, not just our dividing, but things that actually kind of changed the way we did God's business. And one concerned the place of African Americans in our history. As our movement started in America, we were an integrated movement, African Americans and whites together, worshiping together. And then some things happened and we became a predominantly segregated movement. And that institutionalized segregation became a point of real contention, well, for us as a civil society and for us as a church. And regardless, regardless of the biblical passages quoted, or the heightened passion of their position, the segregationists were wrong. And we had come to learn better about what God expected of us as people and as a church. God shared more light or we got in a place of perceiving more light, and our darkness was illumined. And the future of the church looked a little brighter because of that, and I like to think that was the work of the Holy Spirit upon us. And the second was the role of women in our denomination, beginning with a second-class citizenship in congregations, emerging into a strong lay leadership at all local levels, yet the glass ceiling of ordination wasn't broken just 60-some years ago. 60? Your grandparents are older than that, right? I'm older than that. just 60 years ago. That's a pretty long journey. If you read back in Scripture and you see the sensitivity Jesus had for the women around him, and if you read deeper into Paul's epistles and you see how he was trying to bend the social norms of his day and get women in leadership roles of that early movement, Phoebe, Lydia. And you know, regardless of the biblical passages quoted or the passion for their position, the chauvinists, the paternalists, were wrong. We had Come, it took us a long time, but we had come to learn better. Thanks be to God. God had shared more light, or perhaps we 
perceived more light better that illumined our darkness. And the future of the church has been much brighter since we've had characters like Rachel <laughs> in leadership of our movement. And who knows about you two? What will come? We've done a poor job too lately. But it's happened. And it's happening more and it's happening more. And we think it's the work of the Holy Spirit. We think it's something, a Pentecost kind of experience over time. And so you enter a church now that is in a moment of reformation, and I'm tempted to say God only knows what's going to happen to us Methodists over the next uh, couple years, but May of next year we will gather again as a general conference, and we will once again decide whether we are going to include or exclude LGBTQ people in the life of the church, in the life of the leadership of the church, in the social life of marriage in the church. And we've been grappling with this for 50 years, and apparently it has not been enough for us to get on one page with this, and so we're going to discuss it again. And it's hard to predict what kind of church you're going to be entering. Maybe it will be a church that is on the verge of a division that by the time you get out of college, you're going to need to be choosing um, version A or version B. Or maybe it's a church that is going to find itself able to reform itself on this issue. And you'll hardly notice a stutter step four years from now. And it's hard to predict how that will become real to us as grandparents and parents and as Sunday school students at this place, at our level. But I am heartened by the spirit of our congregation, the spirit in this place, not just on this day of Pentecost, but on each ordinary regular Sunday as we gather together and we seek to be good people to one another people that God would have us be. I have seen lives changed by this congregation. Just in the short two years that we have been with you, we have seen people's wounds bound. We have seen hurts made, yes, and hurts healed. We have seen people change. We have seen people blossom. We have seen people who we would say have spiritually matured. We have seen people working together for a greater good in the community, empowered to go beyond these doors and make a difference. We've seen the spirit active and alive in this place. You are right to give your faith to Christ Jesus, and you are right to join this congregation version of the United Methodist Church.
And I would like to ask you, just for the sake of the youth, will you turn and look at one another? See who's sitting next to you, and if that's your spouse, look over his shoulder at somebody else. Because you don't have a choice of, of getting along with those people, but you have a choice of getting along with other people in the pews. Look at one another for a second and think about how beloved or crazy that person is or how beloved and crazy that person is. And I want to ask you, can you worship with that person? Can you, can you study? Can you serve? I mean, can you even have fellowship and be nice to that person if he or she is different than you? Come on now. I know that you can. It is the Wesleyan spirit. It's Jesus' spirit. It's just, it's just that in the name, in the name of Jesus, are you willing to? Are you willing to? For Jesus' sake. If we all love the Lord, can't we hold each other's arms in love with each other? Can't we do something good for each other? With each other. Something good outside our doors. I know that we can. I know that it's the Wesleyan spirit, it's Jesus' spirit. It's just in the name of Jesus, are we willing to? Are we willing to make that witness to the power of grace and love in our lives? It is our decision how we are going to be, whether or not we will let love lead in our lives of faith, that we will let love go about shaping who we are and how we continue to be as a congregation. And I would pray that in this place, with these confirmands, we would do something remarkable with the Holy Spirit's lead in our lives and that we would make these five individuals proud of the place in which they experience Jesus in a special way and the place in which they risk to become the adults that God wants them to be. Amen.